Great chiropractors and physical therapists are under constant pressure of declining insurance reimbursements and long hours. But did you know there's a way to double your profit without working more? By building a gym onto your practice, you can earn more income, stabilize your business, and be a hero to your family, patients, and team. It's a big undertaking with a huge reward. Dr. Josh Satterley has done it, changed his life, and now wants to help you do the same. Welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I am your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I'm excited today to have on Eric Cressy. Eric, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me, Josh. Absolutely, man. Uh, so, Eric, for those uh, in the world who, I don't know how they could live this life, but if they don't know who you are, can you give everybody a little idea of who you are and what you do? Yeah, right on. Um, so, I work as a strength and conditioning coach. It's kind of like my, my full-time gig, but at the same time, um, I do publish blogs, newsletters, speak at conferences, things like that. So, um, definitely some I guess diversified approaches to my professional development, but um, you know, I think now they refer to that as he's a thought leader. Yeah, there's a thought leader, Eric Cressy. I'll, I'll take it. Um, but we have uh, facilities uh, in Hudson, Mass, which is just west of Boston, and then also one in Jupiter, Florida, um, that opened in a few years ago as well. So uh, really, our our mo is really working with baseball players. Um, so we see guys from all thirty different organizations. Um, train both side young award winners last year. We see high school, college, middle school kids, you name it. So it's um it's probably a good eighty to eighty five percent of our clientele. But we also work with. You know, a little bit of everything. We have some NFL guys, we have pro golfers, um, general population folks, tennis players, you name it. So um, a little bit of variety in there as well. Yeah, awesome. Well, because I know as a gym owner, it's tough when you work with baseball because they only have about what feels like a week and a half off, yeah. uh, you know, and then they're out on the road. I mean, I was just, I was watching a game yesterday and there were in May, what was it, the Phillies and the Giants yesterday and it showed the, the calendar and they had three days off in the entire month of May. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. And that's, then that's even scarier because the season started earlier this year. So they actually tried to give guys more days off. Um, you know, especially knowing that the weather is not so good. So yeah, as, as we joke, it's like 200 games in 230 days is a safe bet. Pretty um, soon they're going to be working more days than gym owners do. You know, it's going to be sad. It's scary, isn't it? Uh, but that's, I mean, it speaks to kind of how challenging it is to manage those guys. You just don't get those like breaks in the action. They're always go, go, go. So, um, you've got to really find, you know, some, some lows for all those highs. Yeah, I love that. And Eric, I'm a big fan of your approach. I think you, you're doing great things with these baseball players, but also, um, you know, like you said, you're a prolific writer and you guys put out so much content, which I think is awesome because you're on the cutting edge there. You're seeing what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, even if <laughs> you have a nice way of saying like, don't do this with your clients because we did it and it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, we, we evolve. I mean, I, we sleep or stretched a bunch of people back in like 07, 09. And now we know that's, that's not a great way to approach it. So I'm, I'm definitely, uh, I'm, I have no problem being the dumbest guy in a room. In fact, I try to seek out more of those opportunities because I think it makes us better. Um, but yeah, we, you evolve and you know, you have to, you have to admit when you're wrong. And, you know, I think our clients notice that too. So it was actually interesting when, you know, we have a lot of our long-term pro guys that come back each off season. We have guys that are like, Hey, that's new that's new. We like that. Like, and they'll ask about it. And it's actually a really good way to engage them. Um, I, I like for them to become, you know, kind of active, you know, members of the process and become advocates for themselves. Yeah. That's awesome. I, and I, people want to know, they want to know the information behind, it, especially when somebody's getting paid for essentially uh, using their body at the highest level, right? They, they want to know exactly why you're doing it. Uh, because there are things that seem difficult or seem goofy at first. A lot of times things seem kind of goofy, but you're like, listen, I know it seems goofy, but this will really help with that, you know, hip mobility or whatever you're going after. 
And, and the buy-in is better if, um, if they feel like they have an active role in it. So whether it's educating them so that they know enough to, to request things and, you know, ask different questions, things like that, just, it's a way to kickstart that process of getting them, you know, more involved in their own training. Yeah. And just don't come back with the, uh, I, I don't know. I just saw it on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> That's a horrible reason. <laughs> yeah. And, and to be honest, you know what? Our, our pro guys are not bad on that. Usually our pro guys are more like, look at this dumb stuff I saw on Instagram. It's, you know, it's historically, yeah. you know, they're, you know, we, everybody jokes about like the MLB uh, hashtag no off season. And some of the videos are horrific. Um, and, and we were like not featured on it at all because we're actually, you know, I, what I like to think is doing quality stuff. Um, but in many cases, it's like a joke around the gym that that hashtag so out of control because it, all it is is, you know, guys doing dumb stuff. Yeah. Well, it's not just an MLB world, right? Like uh, if you, the amount of dumb stuff that goes on at gyms, I don't know if it's just more dumb stuff goes on there or that uh, nobody has their cell phones out late at night when they're sitting in the garage in a, uh, you know, in the Midwest with their buddy who's yeah. drinking beers and, and going, Hey, watch this. Like yeah. <laughs> there's no off season for stupidity, I guess is really the issue. And I, I, you know, I, I think it's important. Like, I, I don't want to like come across like a gym snob or anything like that. I think, you know, for me, I'm, I would never discourage somebody from like going to the gym. There's so many people that don't work out or really do anything that I think we, you know, the last thing we want to do is condemn those that go and do dumps. Right. Stuff. Yeah. I think on my end, like the, the baseball ones are hard things. I'm like, this is how you make your living. You know what I mean? Like, why would you not seek out, you know, high quality care and direction? Um, you know, don't just throw darts, like actually have a plan, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that's the, the basis of all great training. I mean, we're advocating people adding it on the back of a, of a clinic, like as a, as a transition to long-term care. And there you, just like with your baseball game, you got to know what the hell you're doing and why you're doing it. Because if you get somebody who's recovered from a low back injury into the gym, doing the wrong things, they're going to re-injure themselves. And then they're really going to think you're dumb and they're not yeah. going to go back to your clinic. not going to go back to your gym. So you lose out multiple ways. So Absolutely. yeah, well, you certainly have a, freaking encyclopedic uh, amount of experience in the world of gyms. Um, I want to kind of diverge a little bit because I got some questions that, you know, you always get asked about baseball and, and, and throwing injuries and whatnot. But from a business perspective, one thing I really want to ask you about that you successfully done is internships. Yeah. I think you've really put together one of the best recognized internship and uh, it's certainly been successful. Um, where currently, where are some of your interns working a few yeah. years post internship right now to give her a perspective of how, how well it ran. Yeah. Um, I mean, Eric Otter's director of performance for the, for the Grizzlies, Connor Ryan's a physical therapist for the Phoenix Coyotes, uh, Mike Roncarati's uh, transition coach for the Atlanta Hawks. He won a, a world championship with golden state. Um, so we've got, you know, quite a, uh, Kevin Neal is the San Jose sharks. Uh, so we've got, you know, kind of a good foot just lost to the Vegas golden Knights. <gasps> <laughs> Ironically enough, Vegas Golden Knights trained edition coach Doug Davidson, uh, summer of 2012 intern at CSP. Nice. So we definitely have, um, you know, we've got a foothold, NHL guys, NBA guys, and then obviously uh, professional baseball. Um, we have quite a few guys that have gone that route. Um, you know, I think what's interesting is we have a kind of a high preponderance of interns who have gone on to maybe more like sports medicine type careers, a lot of DPPs. Um, you know, we've had uh, maybe a couple guys that are docs now uh, who have gone on to med school. Um, you know, we had one that's a PA. Uh, I don't want to get off the rails of the internship here, but one thing that I think is amazing about, about you guys is I think that there's this assumption a lot of times before anybody knows anything about training in sports that you have to go over this super high level stuff. Like 
the most difficult exercise and the best in the world, yourself included, I see are masters at the lowest threshold thing. Like, you know, can I just get your, uh, can I just get you 15 more degrees of external rotation? You do that. Greg Rose does that with golfers, you know, and it's, it's the lower level stuff way more than I see you refining somebody's clean and jerk technique. Exactly. Um, you know, we joke, small hinges, swing, big doors. The, the yeah. running joke in here is that's a Cressyism that we use. But, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's actually really, really important is that, you know, a lot of times you have to separate out with, you know, you're working with high-level athletes. And, you know, a lot of times it's the basic stuff needs to be done better. Um, you know, you have to emotionally separate yourself from the fact that, hey, this guy's got, you know, through 200 innings in the big leagues. Like, they still have fundamental things that you have to come back to. It's just maybe that you have to deliver those messages in slightly different ways. I mean, that's, and that's the, you know, the art and the science of coaching kind of coalesced. Right. That's what makes it so quote unquote easy. Right. <laughs> to the point on the internships is there's, yes, we have guys in the NHL, NBA, MLB, those are very specialized, but I think there's this, there's this uh, oversight. And I think we see a lot of people that try to chase a niche or try to be a specialist. Really on. You have to be a very good generalist before you ever become a specialist. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, become a, a, you know, an outstanding chiropractor if you don't have a fundamental knowledge of, of anatomy, right? So right. Requisites, you have to graduate to, to each different level. And I think that's something that we're missing a lot. Um, you know, maybe it's like the internet marketing world or something like that. Everybody thinks they need to be an expert. Um, you know, I had a 16-year-old kid email me because he wanted me to part, be part of his, like, teleseminar series uh, yesterday and, you know, trying to specialize in something. It's like, this makes no sense for you. Like, you need to finish high school first. Like, you need to, you know... Check all well, to be fair, he is the best trainer at his high school. Exactly. There you go. In, in the freshman class. I mean, for, for males. The hustle for sure. But I think yeah. we have a lot of guys that have unfortunately put the carriage in front of the horse where there's unfortunately some gaping knowledges and like their, their lower level skill sets that, that need to be shored up before you start tackling some of these really complex problems. Because a lot of times the solutions to the complex problems are, it's looking at a lot of different simple things and then just putting them all together. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever read a, or was it Elon Musk's autobiography or his biography? Sorry. Um, one of his secrets to success is like, he calls it first order consequence. Like just go down to where, where is the issue? For example, with the Tesla, he said, you know, how much power would it take to run this car? And they said, well, it takes this much. He goes, okay. Did some quick math. He said, okay, we just need to build a battery that's that big. And they're like, well, nobody, you can't do that. Why not? Well, you just can't. And he's like, you just said like, this is how much power I need. And I just extrapolated that to, you know, he's like, it's simple physics. You, I took the numbers and it, and it works, but this perception of, oh, you can't do that. But the idea is he's a master of basic sciences and he just knows how to, you know, take that and actually put a rocket into space or put a man on Mars pretty soon here. Um, but that's his, you know, he says like, make it simplify it until there's, there's no argument, you know? And if you don't understand the basic sciences, you just can't do that. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's no different. Like you think about, you have a, you have a pipe burst or something at your house and a plumber comes and turns a faucet off and charges you $200, you know, you're like, Hey, that was only 10 seconds of work. Yeah. But it was 20 years of work to understand which faucet I needed to turn off. That's why I'm worth this. So I think that's one of the things that we look at as a great example. We had a, we had a pitcher come in yesterday. It was about 22 months post off on a slap repair. Um, he had you know two or three anchors thrown in there um, and just had not come back and done well. And, you know, we really looked at a ton of different things and you, you listen to him talk, you know, we hear him say, you know, hey, I throw a four seam. Sometimes it's cut. Sometimes it runs. It does erratic things day to day. You know, he walked into a bunch of cupping marks on his upper trap. He was in scapular depression, downward rotation, which tells me they're treating a bunch of protective tension. He was super hypermobile. And while he's sitting in the waiting room, he's actually like stretching his shoulder out. So you, 
these are all really like simple concepts. Like, hey, understand why you're doing soft tissue work on something. Hey, understand why you would cut a forcing. What positions are you in? Do that. And like, those are basic things that, you know, pitching coaches, you attack, basic things a massage therapist attack. You know, on the, on the training side of things, it's an easy assessment to understand a guy's hypermobile. But to put all those pieces together and realize why they're having the issues they're having is where it gets complex. So you, you kind of have to be a little bit of a renaissance man before you put all those pieces together. Yeah, that's how you lost all your hair was you just yeah, you took in so much information it pushed the hair follicles out of your brain, right? Like it just, there was no room left for hair follicles in your head. <laughs> so going back to the idea of an internship, um, you know, I, I always advocate for our clients, if you, if you have the time and you have somebody that can run one, it's a great way to get labor, but it also really sharpens your own sword because teaching the, what you're all about often refines your own model. Um, can you give some people some high level tips that you've learned along the way? I mean, it, you have a lot of glory there, but it didn't always start out with, with uh, glory, right? Yeah. People don't realize that, um, you know, and I wrote an article, it's, uh, if, is your strength and conditioning internship a one way street, which would be a, a very good read. And, and the gist of it is you really have to put in time ahead of time. Like you have to, in fact, my business partner, Pete and our director of performance, John, are doing all the internship interviews today for, you know, the fall. So we, you know, a couple of years ago, we actually had, you know, basically like a lower admission rate than the Ivy league. You know, it was less than mm-hmm. applicants that got accepted for like 11 spots in Florida and mass, you know, with well over a hundred applicants. So you have to wait, weed guys down. Um, you know, for us in our internship process, we actually, one of the things we have is a tripwire. Um, so as a frame of reference, let's say you get 120 applications for this internship and each one includes a resume. Uh, and they include their references. They include their cover letter. That's three separate documents. So if you're my business partner, Pete, would you rather open three documents in every email or one? So we always say to them, submit your information as a one like document PDF. It's bolded, it's highlighted, it's underlined, it's in bright red on the directions. And 40% of applicants don't do it. And it, it literally is like, it's the hugest tripwire ever. Just like, you know, somebody spells something wrong, types in all lowercase, things like that, that are just like a mark of no professionals, no attention to detail. And, and so like when we have those big applicant pools, we will actually, you know, markedly pare back on stuff based purely on that. I and mean, yes, we probably missed out on some good candidates over the years, but for me, that's like a tripwire. Um, it's a way for us to, to get right to people who follow directions incredibly well, because those people that follow directions well, they're going to take on what comes next even better. And that's, it's a 10 week online curriculum. Um, basically it goes through everything from our assessments uh, to, you know, various, like, you know, here's how you coach anterior core drills. Uh, here's some of the scapular controls. Here's a presentation on pitching injuries and, you know, the etiology of slap tear. So we, we, we get them accustomed to this population and it ends really with like how to build rapport with clients so that they're comfortable on that first day, like having conversations. And they also get oriented to our programming templates and everything. It's very sequential. Um, and as they're going through that, there's about 750 exercises that we expect them to have reviewed before they show up on day one. And there, there are a few that they may not see over the course of their internship, but they're expected to review it. And honestly, we'll, we'll challenge them on day one. We'll ask them some randoms and usually the ones that are very self-explanatory, like, Hey, split stance, one arm cable row, show it to us. Um, and you know, if we find somebody's not like up to snuff, they haven't studied hard enough. We'll make them observational only. We'll say, you're not coaching anybody here until you've demonstrated a level. This happened twice in our internship where we actually, We've said, you're not on the floor today. You're going to go into the staff lounge and you're going to study this because you showed unprepared because it's, it's not fair to your, your peers that they worked hard to prepare themselves and you're going to have the same opportunities that they do. So it, right. we, we you guys play at the highest levels, man. I mean, like you got people walking the floor that 
you know, a, a stupid low grade injury from doing the wrong exercise is literally, literally has an ROI that could be in the million dollars, right? Like, and I think for us too is, um, you know, we don't put them in positions where they can really fail early on. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty hard to screw up like teaching foam rolling or, you know, maybe going through some warm ups and things along those lines. And, you know, so we're not going to give them that, you know, clients who have substantial injury histories. We, we ease them into that over the course mm-hmm. of time. But, um, you know, we, we very much believe that if you do things well up front, you have a good orientation, um, you put them in positions to be successful. Um, you know, and I think there's also what's kind of nice about that is I, I think a lot of people come in very appreciative. You know, they, they realize like, Hey, we just went through this 10 week online course that you prepared for us. And I learned more in this than I did during my four year exercise science degree. Like um, for sure, for sure level of buy-in and, you know, they want to do a good job, especially knowing like we, we hire almost exclusively from our internship program. Um, wow. you know, and, uh, it's one of those things where in many cases it's like, it's a trial run for, for being successful. Yeah, that <laughs> allow them to perform in front of you at, with a, a closed end and say, hey, it didn't work out is a great way as a business owner to know if you got the goods, right? The other thing I would tell you too is like, think about, you mentioned, you know, it's a, you know, internships are, you know, they're free labor or whatever you may be, but they're also, it's a way to evaluate something that's hard to evaluate. Let's say yeah. like, you know, Josh, you're out in Vegas. Let's say you want to hire a guy from Tennessee. He's got an amazing resume. You call all his references you know, he answers all these awesome questions from the interview. Like you've evaluated competency. He's going to, he's going to be able to coach. You haven't evaluated fit. You don't know what a guy from like backwoods, Tennessee is going to do when he goes on to like the strip in Vegas for the first time. Like he might be a deer in headlights. He might not coalesce with your clients. Um, that's, you know, and if you look at culturally, our, our masters in Florida facilities are very similar in some ways, but the, the demographics are substantially different um, in terms of like, in case of what we open at 9 a.m. on Saturday in both locations, our Massachusetts facility, it could be 10 inches of snow on the ground at 8.45 on a Saturday morning, and there'll be 25 clients waiting at the door. Whereas our Florida facility, you walk in at 9, it's crickets. And they just kind of start to trickle in at like 9.45. Like, we'll, we'll occasionally just do a staff in-service first thing because there's nobody there yet. And it's it's just a different world altogether. Um, you know, they, they roll in a little bit later in Florida. So you have to evaluate not just competence, you have to evaluate fit. And an internship is amazing for that. How do they jive with your staff? You know, how do they handle themselves over an extended period of time? And then our clients will be like, this guy's awesome. You should definitely try to keep him around. That's what means a lot to us. Yeah. I heard a guy uh, say, you know, if he said, think about when you're hiring somebody, there's no way that if, if you had a band and you needed a new guitarist, you could get all the resumes. Sorry. So there's a guy saying, if, if you were hiring a new band member and you needed a guitarist, there's, you get all the applications and resumes. And there's no way you would let him not audition. You would have to hear him play the guitar, right? Yeah. And a lot of people forget about that, like you're saying, and certainly an internship allows that to happen. So it's awesome. But even beyond that, like you're also, if you're a touring band, you've got to go on the road with that guy. Yeah. How, how bad is it going to be if he's a great guitarist, but he's an absolute pain in the butt on the tour bus and the hotel, <laughs> all that. Like you really have to critically evaluate that. So for us, three to five month internship, like we get to spend a lot of time. We get to know you well and, um, you know, kind of see how you fit in. Now, now that's how long your internship lasts. So it's, would you say 10 weeks before they step in the building, 10 weeks of online education. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then they step in and how long does you typically last? It'll vary a little bit. The spring internship tends to be the longest that goes January 2nd through Memorial day. Um, summer is the shortest uh, Memorial day based to labor day. And then, you know, the fall one is going to be basically September 1st up until uh, you know, effectively like 
a few days before Christmas. Wow. You have like a, a little like middle time, like between Christmas and New Year's, that's always interesting in terms of being a little short staffed. So we'll often call former interns in to help coach and stuff. But um, yeah, it's, that's uh, awesome. Definitely, and, and, and how many hours a week are they typically putting in um, uh, know, education versus actually on the floor working? Yeah. Um, you know, what I would say is from in terms of on the floor, like our, our full-time coaches work 33 hours. Um, so historically we've had our interns be expected to do the same. Um, and they, they get a few different things. Like we run our strength camps with our adult clients, five 30 to, to 10 30 on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So those are, you know, early morning. So if someone comes in and does strength camp, they can leave early for the day. Otherwise we're, we're 12 to seven. Um, you know, at least at our, our, uh, Massachusetts facility, our Florida facility gets going at 10. So, um, you know, it just depends on, on kind of which block they go to. Uh, so there's that. We also run uh, two separate in-services each week, um, depending on which facility you're in there. Florida's is Tuesdays and Massachusetts Wednesdays. But before we open up on, on Wednesdays, 11 to 12 is staff in-service. So that's one of our staff members presenting on something. We may have guest speakers come in, um, you know, on everything from, I mean, Lou Schuler came in and talked about writing in the fitness industry. We've had doctors come in and speak about surgeries. So we, we cover a million different things. And then on Friday, actually, um, uh, one of these, John O'Neill, who's our internship coordinator in Massachusetts, he'll do like a separate one hour presentation on, you know, a topic of whatever it may be. The other thing we actually do, we started this two semesters ago and it's been incredibly successful is, um, instead of doing like this, you know, four or five hour, like kind of orientation on day one, when they get here, um, we do 30 minute like blocks for the first 12 days and we've actually had really really good success with that so basically we open at 12 11 30 to 12 it's john and you know four or five interns and today we're going all we're going over chops and lifts and then next time we're going over rollouts and fallouts next day we're going over deadlift next day we're going over single leg and they attack some kind of big bold um topic in, in a lot of detail they go over you know here are the coaching keys we like to use. Um, and that's been actually a game changer for us. People don't do well when you give them, you kind of have them drink through the fire hose. They seem to, to do a little bit better when you give them like bite-sized pieces over the course of a couple weeks. Oh yeah. I, <laughs> I can tell you that from experience, man, we, we did a half hour to hour long. Um, and the other thing is you plan out so much education sometimes and what you end up covering is the first line in your outline, you know, <laughs> and you never get past that. And you're just like, geez, I didn't know this was so much, but again, it makes, it refines what you're doing and helps you even think through some of the thing, some of those things. So. And I think, you know, we've realized that more and more, like people don't read like long form blogs anymore. They want five to 700 words. They're more involved on Instagram, Twitter. And like, you can think about like, you know, we met up for the first time at SFMA, which is an amazing yeah. You think about like, if you could have taken each one of those, Hey, we're just going to do 30 minutes on cervical screens today. Mm-hmm. And at them. They conceptually have time to go over it. Like it's, it's bite-sized pieces, you know? So it's, it's obviously not convenient when you have people from traveling from all over, over a two or three day period. But, you know, in the short term, like you can make very, very impactful changes. People, you, you give them a, you know, a, really like a a ton of stuff and a really specific topic. Are you a chiropractor or physical therapist working long hours, worrying about lower repayments and missing out on quality time with your family? You can double your income without working more hours by adding a gym to your practice. Clinic Gym Hybrid Solutions has a step-by-step guide that dramatically simplifies and speeds up the addition of a fitness center and its monthly recurring revenue. In just six months, you can be on your way to freedom. Visit clinicgymhybrid.com today for a free downloadable PDF and complimentary consultation to get you started. That's clinicgymhybrid.com. And going back, you said that there's the art and the science of it. And talking about the art, um, you know, what have you learned 
when you have interns, you know, it's not just rote information, right? It's not just present the information, they process it, but how do you support them? How do you challenge them? How do you push them a little bit? Maybe create some uncomfortable moments on purpose. Do you have them get up in front of the room to speak, things like that? Any tips you have there? Yeah, you know, to be honest, I tend to observe a lot in the first week. Um, one of the things that we've found too is uh, separating me from it has actually made it a lot better. Um, whether it's, it's justified or not, there are a lot of guys that because it's Cressy sports performance, there are guys like on day one that are like legitimately like afraid to coach in front of me. Like they 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 get a little like white coat hypertension, and I'm like, I try to be like the most easygoing guy in the world, but you know I think they put a lot of pressure on themselves. So mm-hmm. honestly, I try to stay busy and I try to just observe from afar a little bit more. You know, I, I try to make them comfortable, obviously asking about themselves and things like that. But it's like in, uh, in Scooby-Doo episodes where the, 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 uh, the guy who's really the villain is like clean, kind of cleaning the windows and stuff, you know, looking at them from the side, like viewing. I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and to be honest, I, you know, I, I, I defer to John here and Tim in Florida as kind of our internship coordinators to really take the lead on stuff. So, you know, the last thing I want that is for them to get mixed messages. So if I see things that I think, you know, they can work on a lot of times I'll, I'll actually dictate it to either John or, or Tim and have them kind of be the, the, you know, kind of the delivery people. It's like if a major league baseball general manager wants something changed, like he doesn't drive to the double A affiliate and say, Hey, I need you to take the ball to the glove sooner. Like he's going to dictate that to his minor league coordinator. He's going to speak to the infield coach or, you know, pitching coach or whatever it may be to make things kind of happen. So, um, you know, we're not that big a business. I need to be crazy separate from it, but I think in the early stages, that's something I've done differently in, in recent years. And I think it's, it's really, really important. Um, you know, that's the other thing is that I, I think what's become challenging for me, um, with our, our internships, I certainly get to know them as best I can, but there are some that I don't get to interact with very much being split between Florida and Massachusetts. I might spend three to four weeks with, you know, them. So I, I, I we have guys that are responsible as the internship coordinators because it, um, they can usually attack a lot of this mentorship stuff better than I can. Um, you know, it, it becomes challenging too, where I'll get like five or six requests each week for letters or recommendations or, you know, calls from colleges that are looking to hire guys. So I, I do try to def- I don't want to say delegate. I try to empower those guys, you know, and, and it's part of their job descriptions. Nice. It's uh, you're always such a great guy. I mean, that's one quality that's always come through. I remember reading an article you wrote that was it the eight, one of the agents told you that he loved working with you just because you actually get back to people and you, yeah. you're actually nice about it. We try, we try, you know, you want to get along well with everybody and it's very hard. You know, I think, you can probably speak to this, you know, a ton. You had a family, you got a thriving business and you know, you're, you're, you're doing different things, right? You're consulting, you're doing podcasts, you're treating patients, mm-hmm. you're trying to stay on top of your continuing education. You're speaking at seminars. Like there's a lot of competing demands for your time and attention. And, you know, you have to learn how to say no to some people and, you know, but you never want it to be, you know, perceived the wrong way. So you have to kind of do it delicately, but you know, for us, you know, hiring good people, empowering them, um, you know, it's been one of the lessons I've learned over the course of time. So, um, you know, that's something we've definitely done differently. By the way, have you had a conversation with somebody saying like, so I'll just give you an example. Uh, first time I took a golf lesson from a pretty, uh, the, the Harmon school from a pretty high end instructor, he jokingly, uh, opened up the drawer, pulled out an envelope and handed me two gift certificates for bowling. And he said, <laughs> I don't know if golf is your thing, man, <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, in all I seriousness, love- have you had interns that end your program and you go either this isn't for you or, uh, you know, maybe you need to refine some skills or you, let me provide you some resources, but don't go into gym sitting right away. Um, you know, I think you definitely maybe steer people in those directions. Um, you know, I, I think there are, there are conversations about things that are changeable or, you know, that, that people can modify. Those are usually easy conversations. Um, you know, like, 
just, just giving them, you know, advice on how to build rapport with clients you know, how to coach certain exercises. All that stuff I think is very, very easy. Um, I think the harder ones, like you can't teach work ethic. You know, if someone is inherently drawn to, you know, taking cor- shortcuts and things like that, those are hard dynamics. You know, over the entire course of our internship, we've only had to fire one intern. And this is going back to like 2007. So I think that's a testament to, to you know, basically selecting guys ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a couple of interns that have had to leave, you know, for various situations, I mean, deaths in the family and, you know, um, other situations like that. But, you know, for the most part, I, you know, I would say that we're really like over 90%, you know, positive outcomes. Where I do think it is a little bit challenging is you, you have people for sure who, um, you know, they're maybe not a, at least in, in our eyes, a perfect fit for the job that they want to have, right? They want to be done here and they're like, hey, I want to go work in pro sports. And you're like, my gosh, you're going to get eaten alive. <laughs> uh, something along those lines. Or, yeah. you know, you see someone that gets like deer in headlights in front of a large group and they say they want to go do group training. Like, you know, he'd be really good as a personal trainer, like, or, you know, working a you know, physician's extender, like a clinical population. Like, this is is really outside your, your comfort zone. So, you know, I, I think you try to be as direct as you possibly can. You say, here are the, the things that you need to do work on that. We, we do our best to kind of nurture that, um, you know, kind of involvement over the course of their time here. But you're right. There are definitely situations where you have to, you have to give people brutal honesty. The other one that's really hard, honestly, is, uh, you know, we've kind of been busy enough that now, like when we're talking about some of these like higher level jobs, we're getting calls from pro organizations and colleges. Like there are times when I have multiple former interns, like applying for the same job. And it, it's, it's kind of like this ethical dilemma. You also have interns that maybe were good, not great. And you have to be really honest about where they are because the biggest concern is what happens if you, if you give a recommendation for someone that wasn't top notch, it's that next time, you know, they're going to remember that. Um, so those are really, really hard discussions to have. Um, so I know there, there's a famous, uh, uh, radio producer in, uh, in Phoenix, Arizona that told Jimmy Kimmel, listen, you're about, you're behind the mic guy. Do not get in front of the camera. You'll never yeah. succeed. So yeah. maybe it was cause he got shit canned a couple times that he improved, or maybe that guy was a bad talent scout. You never know, but you know, there's always those tough decisions. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people look back and go, Oh, that's a, uh, you know, I, I wish I would have hired so-and-so at that point. It's funny you say that because when I was finishing my grad degree in 2005, I actually remember emailing with Jason Perugia. And at the time Jason had his, his gym in New Jersey before he closed it. And, you're kind of going back and forth uh, about just kind of the industry. And, you know, one of the things Jay said that, that really, really resonated with me is like, you're not worth what you think you're worth. You're worth what someone will pay you. It's like, you think you have this remarkable skill set, but unless you come in and you add value to a business, you grow that business, you know, you do something to make it more profitable. You make it a better experience for clients. Like it doesn't matter what you think you're worth. It doesn't matter how much you invested in school or what classes you took or what studies you publish or anything like that. Like that. And I, and I think there's, that's actually a big issue right now. You have a lot of people that think that they have way more reach, way more to offer and way more value than they, they do. And it, we both know, like it, it takes time to get to that. Yeah, I guess this would be a good time to let you know this podcast only has about three listeners, dude. So <laughs> I hope you weren't hoping for a big exposure. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> I appreciate the conversation. Yeah. Hey, um, I, I want to move on. But before we move on, you said that uh, you wrote a really good article about the internship program and kind of what you've learned. Where can people find that? If you, uh, if you go to ericresti.com or just Google it, it's uh, is your strength conditioning internship a one-way street is what it's called. Okay, cool. And that should be pretty pretty easy to find on the, yeah, the, the blog. Okay, perfect. All right. Well, uh, I know that uh, 
there, like I said, there are so many facets of what you've done. Well, uh, let me, let me go after something that I don't, I've never heard you speak of publicly, but I'd love to get your opinion when you've got a young trainer and you've got uh, a high end client. And I know that a lot of people listening here, they're going to have some, you know, when you have a clinic and a gym, you just happen to get, sometimes you get the best athletes in your area. You know, I'm in Las Vegas and we've worked with some of the best athletes that live out here. And I'm sure that happens everywhere. What tips do you have for people? You know, I'm trying to, so you don't become a total fanboy blubbering over your words, but when you are working with high end clients, what tips would you have? And maybe you give this out in your internship to, to work with the, 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 highest of the high. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first thing I would tell you is just remember that, you know, at the end of the day, they're normal people, right? Um, you know, everybody says that, but that's really hard when you're staring at somebody you've only seen on the TV, you know, it really is. And, and so it's funny. I literally, while we're talking, I just pulled this up. I did a presentation, 11 tips for building and managing a professional athlete clientele. So the first thing I would say is just, you know, like I said, they're, they're normal guys, you know, keep that in mind as you, as you work through stuff. But, um, we always talk a lot about, uh, adding value instead of extracting value, particularly if you have individuals who are, you know, who are being compensated very well. Like we have multiple clients who are worth over $200 million, um, you know, and who are, you know, got that way because of playing baseball. And what you realize is there's also, um, there's a, there's a big tendency for people around them to always try to extract value. Like, Hey, we can charge them whatever. Cause they're, you know, price insensitive. Our, our big league guys, you know, Max Scherzer who has a $215 million contract pays exactly what our other big league guys pay. You know, like there's, there's no difference because of him being compensated at that level, him being maybe the best pitcher on the planet, whatever it is. So I, I think guys recognize that certainly you probably leave a lot of value on the table, but I think you sleep a lot better at night knowing you're a good human being. You're not, you know, just trying to take advantage of people. That's sadly uncommon. You know, uh, you see a lot of people in our industry, unfortunately, you know, kind of raking, you know, pro athletes who have a high net worth over the coals. Um, and I think another thing is being accessible. You know, I think one of the things that they teach us in this industry is that, you know, we work while others play. And, and there are going to be times when you have to take a phone call from a pro baseball player at 1030 at night after a game. Right. You have to be, you know, available to them, um, you know, because they, they they have markedly different work hours. Um, you know, I think for me, especially in the baseball world, one of the things that I do really, really well is I'm, I'm unconditionally positive. You know, in, in baseball, if you fail 70 percent of the time, you're one of the best players on the planet. Like playing a pro sport is hard. Like you're, you're very, very elite, um, you know, just from a pure percentage standpoint, and it's even harder to stay there. They don't need more negativity um, in their lives. And you actually talk to a lot of our guys, the, the managers they hate are the guys that are unconditionally negative, like be positive. Um, and to me, energy is a lot different than charisma. You know, you don't have to be this rah, rah, yelling across the gym in their face guys, but you know, a lot of times it's asking about how their family's doing or getting to know them on a personal level um, because they, that's a way to show that they care. Dude, I, I just got to tell a story here. Yeah, I had a, a private client working with him at his house and uh, he was making, when I looked at about 12 million bucks a year and it was right when signing was happened. So he was really watching what teams were taking what players from free agency because it was going to be the difference between like, is he going to, you know, add a lot of money to his contract? Is he going to like, and, and I can't describe it. I'm sure you've seen this, but you see so much angst on these guys when they're worried about that. I mean, it's like a five day run of like the highest stress. Yeah. I can only equate it to like finding out if you, you know, got into grad school or something like they're just so stressed out. But I said, all right, man, let's forget all that shit. Let's talk about your kids. 
And it was like the guy like exploded. Oh man, I got to tell you like, and he ran to his, his uh, kitchen and he yeah. pulled down this like coloring thing his daughter had made in preschool. And it's like, what just happened there? Like it was a huge switch, but to your point, it was like, I touched on the human side, not the, not the business side or whatever you want to call that, you know? And he just totally exploded from there. The workout was great. So I, I love your idea of being unconditionally positive. Yeah. Well, so, and the, the thing I, I like, we see it every year. That's, that's hilarious. You see that from basically December one until end of January, that's the case. Like you, if you see a guy walking around in front of CSB on his phone, like, you know, he's probably on the phone with his agent. Like we had guys get traded in the middle of training sessions, um, stuff like that. So you know, have you ever had anybody find out like on TV that, that let something happen? Like, Oh, you'd be amazed at some of this stuff. You guys will hear from teammates and stuff like yeah, that. That's the worst. Or yeah, social media, they find out something. Yeah. yeah. It happens pretty commonly. One of the things that actually is really, I think important too, is like, you have to talk about something other than their sport. Like, you know, for the fanboys in the crowd, like, Oh my God, you play professional baseball. That's so cool. They're usually sick of baseball by the time the offseason rolls around, right? Um, and I did the math on it. You know, like, you know, average guy, you know, might be at the ballpark for 12 hours a day for 200 days over the course of years, 2,400 hours. That's the average American works 1,700 hours per year. So right. you have to ask, like, do you think accountants want to come home and talk about accounting on weekends? Like, no. And that doesn't mean that they're apathetic to their job, but they'd rather talk about fantasy football. <laughs> they'd rather talk about the golf round they played or something like yeah. that. By the way, that accountant just traveled by via bus uh, with a bunch of other accountants to get yeah. on a plane with a bunch of other accountants to fly to an accounting conference and have yeah. lunch with accountants. And, you know, everybody's asking about accounting. I love that. Yeah, that's a good tip. I think um, on our end, specialization has been really good. You know, finding that niche, um, you know, guys want you to be their competitive advantage. It's hard to do that if you're, you're training every Joe and Jane, you know, out there. In some cases, you need to walk away from, from other opportunities. Um, you know, that, that may be competing in one direction or another. I got a buddy in Montana who's the number one bull chiropractor for bull riders and rodeo cowboys in Montana. That's amazing. Now, yeah, it is because like, he, no matter what he did, I don't think he can compete in the world of baseball with you, Eric. Like yeah. <laughs> just geographically, he's smoked, right? Oh, but not. what do you have? And one of the things about his place is, man, uh, you know, you got to know your market. Uh, like literally in drawers, they have Copenhagen because... yeah. Like that is a part of cowboy life if there ever is one, you know? So if they ask you, Hey, you got cope. It's like, that's their, uh, that's their pre-workout shooter, right? <laughs> is drop some cope. Here's an interesting one too. Trained families, not athletes. Like people don't realize uh, how big a deal it is to get. I mean, obviously we love to have players, wives and yeah. kids coming into the facilities. Um, but you think about our facility, like in Jupiter, right? Like we've had, multiple people who drop their lives and, and move across the country as a place to train. And in many cases, there's a spouse that is like along for the ride, you know, and, and yes, they're compensated well, but that means they've got a race to find housing. They've got to find, you know, things that their newborns can do. Like they've got to find like social outlets, things like that. Like they're lonely, man. Our, our daughter's third birthday in November was, it was basically like a major league baseball party. Um, like, <laughs> there were three or four guys that were there that were like so fired up for a three-year-old birthday party. Like they were more excited than you could possibly imagine. And you know, like your family's playing into these geographic decisions of how you build your business. Um, you know, it's also super helpful obviously to get the spouse involved on the nutrition side of things and, you know, lifestyle decisions about not, you know, go out and drinking and staying out late all the time. So I, I, that's one of the things I learned really early is that we don't just train players, we train families. And um, you realize that when, when the family is not on board, it's, it's markedly harder 
Um, there, there are a lot of competing demands in many cases. So we want them to be involved in the mix. And I actually write programs for a few wives of our players. We have some that nice. us at our facility. Do you sell that? Sorry, on the front end, like when you're, when you have somebody come in and membership, do you just bring it up then? Like when, when do you kind of weave in Hey, what about your wife, kids? Yeah, I think it's a, ca- it's a casual conversation. I don't, I don't think we push it. I mean, you know, certainly I think where we, we we're able to help them along is like when they're looking at coming to the area, you know, we have real estate connections where we kind of mm-hmm. get the ball rolling. Like, and even just like simple things like our, our Florida facility, there's a free zoo a quarter mile away. Like literally like we've had times when guys have come in and done an about with us and their wife takes their two year old to the zoo and they, you know, they see Florida bears and Panthers and all this stuff and like stuff like that, giving them restaurant recommendations, all that is important. I wouldn't say we hard sell it on day one. You know, we, we certainly, you know, inquire and, you know, tell them, Hey, you know, we run strength camps in the morning. Your wife might like that. Um, try to introduce them to other people in the area. But um, it's funny. We, we had a, a professional athlete move to our area and, um, my wife and I sat down and just talked to him about preschools and that was like their stress point, you know, it's like, like, yeah. and it's just like of all the things you think, like, cause there's, you know, their agent will help them with real estate sometimes and, you know, find a broker and all that stuff. But you forget there's all these things about integrating into a new community that are tough. So that's awesome that you guys do that. You know, it's interesting too. Uh, one of the things I say also as well, and this is really important is don't abuse your professional relationship. Um, so as a frame of reference, this week, I've gotten two emails from people around the country who I know are good people who have asked me if I can get signed memorabilia for silent auctions. One of them is in Seattle. Mm-hmm. He's a great guy. We've been friends for a long time. And, you know, if, it would be very, very easy if it was like, hey, you need a, a Corey Kluber autographed ball and you asked me in December or January. It's like the easiest thing in the world. Like Corey Kluber's in Ohio right now. I'm in Massachusetts. That's Seattle. If he's going to sign a ball, like there's a lot of hoops to jump through, you know, to to, to get it there. So we, we really, you actually, sure he just wasn't looking for a signed Cressy shirt signed by Eric Cressy. Exactly. It's I great. mean, at a silent auction, that's going to bring yeah. some serious coin, baby. <laughs> but the one that's actually the, the more, actually the most challenging in the baseball world. So as a frame of reference, players uh, in spring training games and in the minor leagues can leave tickets at no charge. So if you want to go to a Las Vegas 51s game, I can make sure you have tickets that night. And it's very, very easy. The second those New York Mets players go to the big leagues and want to leave tickets, they have to pay taxes. They're treated as compensation. Mm-hmm. So if you're a player in the highest tax bracket and you leave an $80 ticket in friends and family, that's like them just handing you $40. And in many cases, people will be like, hey, can you get so-and-so to leave me tickets? And it's like, no, it's, you're asking me to make a big ass. Like you're literally asking me to steal money out of this person's wallet. So, you know, we, I never pay for my, or not, excuse me, I never ask for tickets from our guys. If, if they leave us tickets, I send them a Venmo. Like I pay for all my tickets. I'm really adamant about that because it, it gives me separation. So I can say, Hey, I appreciate you asking, but just so you know, our players do have to pay on this stuff where I can maybe help you out is if you go to the game, I could get you some BP passes, stuff like that. But I'm very cognizant of not wearing guys out because I think they get hit up for that stuff enough. And it's also a challenge. You got to bring your whole staff on board with it because you've got a staff of nine and they all interact with you. And you know, the, the Mets come to Miami to play the Marlins and Noah Syndergaard's pitching. Like, I don't want Noah to have to leave a dozen tickets for all of our staff and their spouses and everything like that. So there's, you have to definitely set some boundaries about, you know, how that works. Even though those guys are great and I know they do it. I hate asking for it because it's, it's a, it's an ask, you know what I mean? And you got too many of those and it adds up. Yeah. It's a, uh, and time, you know, when you have two days off in a month, time for a phone call is precious. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, it, that that's a f- quote unquote free thing, but their time is so precious to be with their families and whatnot, man. This is all great. This is amazing stuff, Eric. I really appreciate you taking the time with us yeah. to share this. Um, I, I know that 
I only got you for a couple more minutes. I just want to make sure that we're, um, that I, that I, I, I heard that, that you hold the world record for something that you are the, uh, the highest vertical jump for an old white dude who had no vertical jump in high school. Is this, is this true? Yeah. And actually there's a funny story behind it. You've obviously seen the, the picture or the video. Um, what's actually hilarious about that. I did it on a Wednesday afternoon and I rolled out of bed Friday morning and I had like the worst pec minor strain in history. <laughs> like I did it with no warm up and violent reaching for a guy in a, in pretty good scapular anterior tilt. It was amazing. It took like 36 hours to kick in, but it, it took like a good three weeks to calm down. So I, I wasn't just from going around the gym, high-fiving everybody for your awesome performance. The funny joke is that I strained a boob jumping. <laughs> That's how athletic I am. Yeah. But, but I just, because this is a, there are some people who go to the gym. What was your vertical jump in high school? So people have some context here. You had it measured, right? I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I was a, I was a, four foot 11 by four foot 11 freshman. I was a very underwhelming high school athlete. So I don't think I'd, I'd even had it tested, but I'd be shocked if it was over 18 or 19 inches. Okay. And how old are you now? Uh, 36. So 20 years later, basically 20 years of some smart training and periodic, uh, max effort deadlifting and everything else. And, and what, what did it measure out at? Like 37 and change, you know, give or shake. So yeah. So I doubled, doubled in 20 years, huh? Yeah. You know, actually it was really funny. There's kind of a funny story about that. I got into powerlifting and I, I was like a 545 squatter in the 165 class. And I had a 23 inch vertical jump. I was like, clearly this training is not carrying over. And I just started doing a little more sprinting, a lot more jumping is just as part of warmups and trying to be more athletic. And literally a year and a half later, I jumped 35, just like without really prioritizing it. It was just like 27 to four to 35, 23 to like 35 in about a year and a half. I mean, adding 12 inches at anything is yeah. going from 18 to 30 would be great, but you went even higher than that. It's a really interesting perspective just on there. A lot of people that have a lot of force that they just don't know how to tap into because they haven't trained to utilize it. So I was, Dude, I that's, was so that's the best client to get in a gym, by the way, is if you have somebody that doesn't know what their potential is and you just like give them a little window, they're like, that was different. You're like, yep. oh yeah, that happens all the time. We always say it's easier to make a fast guy strong than it is to make a strong guy fast. But in that case... It, apparently it was easy to make a strong guy fast. I, I don't run well, but I can jump. <laughs> you know what I do is I, I put it on a timeline and then compare when you got married and then go to your wife and be like, babe, I just want you to know I wasn't fast until I met you. You know, <laughs> probably, it'll probably win you some points. <laughs> um, hey, Eric, just as we wrap up here, uh, five, uh, five resources or mentors or information you think uh, is worth people checking out if they're so most of my listeners are just starting or just about to start a gym. Okay. So any five resources you think are, are worthwhile? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll give you a Homer one. His office is three doors down from mine. My business partner, Pete, it's PeteDupuis.com, D-U-P-U-I-S. Pete does a ton of stuff in the fitness industry. Um, you know, lots of different uh, components, but, but heavy business orientation. Pete's stuff is outstanding. Um, Alan Cosgrove does an excellent job on the business of fitness as well. I think some of his stuff is great. Um, Thomas Plummer is a guy who's been around in a long time in the, um, in the fitness space from a, a consulting standpoint. Um, so some of his early books, even just like the chapters on lease negotiation, stuff like that, I think are, are really worth their weight in gold. Um, I really like Pat Rigsby. Pat's a guy I, I talk to pretty regularly. He's a, I think Pat's a good dude. He doesn't tell you, here's the system you need to use. He listens to you and, and helps kind of you lead yourself to those, uh, those decisions. So, that's four. Um, 
I'll give you a, a, a great book by Chip and, Chip and Dan Heath. One's a psychologist at Stanford, one's at Duke. They're brothers. It's called Decisive. Um, it's how to, how to make good decisions, you know, kind of in business and in life. So probably the, the best business book I've read in an extended period of time. Yeah, I, I read a Harvard Business Review and it said that the number one quality in the highest performing CEOs was the speed at which they can make a decision, which sounds ridiculous. Like that would be a factor, but it's so hard in, in business, especially as you're expanding and growing decisions have weight and, and you're worried about them and they take emotion. And so I think that's a great resource. I appreciate that. So uh, all those folks, I, I, I've never personally talked with Pat Rigsby, but everybody else I've personally talked to him would hundred percent vouch for. So I'm glad you brought them all up. They're all amazing. And uh, yeah, you certainly, uh, you're one of them too, buddy. So yeah. I appreciate all the information you share with the world and that you provide and, uh, and I look forward to everything that's going on. Uh, what is in the future for you? Anything big coming up? Uh, actually filming a new shoulder course this month. So getting ahead on the game there, trying to, trying to use this three weeks of downtime between when all the pro guys take off, when all the college guys get here to try to have a little bit more long-term uh, planning, but busy summer of training college guys for sure. And then uh, back to the program once mid September rolls around. Awesome. Well, it looks like uh, everything's going well for you. I'm very excited. Congrats on the second location being uh, incredibly fruitful. And uh, thank you very much for taking the time today, Eric. Um, for Once again, for people who want to check out your blog or find you or find more information, where can they go to find you? Uh, ericcressy.com is the website. And then it's just at Eric Cressy on both uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Nice. And I love the, uh, if you get Eric, if you get on Eric's Instagram on Fridays, he has a little t-shirt competition with his yeah. workout buddies. It's always pretty exciting. Never a dull moment at our facility. You got to keep it fun, right? There you go. Well, Eric, on uh, behalf of my listeners and behalf of Clinic Gym Radio, uh, let me say thank you. And this is Dr. Josh Satterley with Eric Cressy saying, go out there maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're ready to double your profit without working longer hours, please visit clinicgymhybrid.com and find out how easy it is to get started on your path to freedom. That's clinicgymhybrid.com.